0: I'm Becky Patton and I am a licensed pastoral counselor. I get the privilege of sitting with people as they're unpacking and trying to understand the connection between sexuality and spirituality. Any of the stories that I share, any of the examples that we use, even about our partners, we are using those with permission and we are also changing enough of the details that no one's privacy is disrupted.
1: Are you okay? It's going around. Do you want to stretch? Yeah, it's going around. Do we need to Sorry. get you a Roman uh, chair? Yeah, yeah. At first I couldn't decide if like you had something you really needed to say. I was trying
0: so hard not to interrupt the flow. I was mean. holding it for so long and then I couldn't anymore. No, right, it was okay. getting worse Never holding feel like it. Never that. Yeah. So, yeah, anyway. yeah. It's not
1: worth it. I can sink back in.
0: From Milieu Media Group, this is Fun Parts, an exploration of sexuality and spirituality. For anyone who's curious or convinced, there must be more. With your hosts Latifa Alatas, Ashley Lusink, Steve Weins, Luke Bronner, and me, Becky Patton.
2: Fun parts! Okay, so at the end of the last episode, Steve, you said sort of how you've grown in your ability to appreciate other people's bodies. And it took me back to you know, I didn't have my first like actual relationship until I was a sophomore in high school. And, you know, at that point I'd never kissed a girl. I'd never done anything and things from my purity culture mind went farther than they probably should have. They went nowhere near sleeping together, but like they went farther than they should have. And that relationship lasted like six months or so. And then I fell in love with this girl and we were together a long time. But from the moment that I began having feelings about her, I like shut something off in my brain and I was like, you are not allowed to think of her sexually. Mm -hmm. You cannot go there because the only word I had for that was lust and lust was horrible and lust led to all sorts of bad decisions. And I'm not kidding when I say I never thought of her sexually and we dated for three years. We dated for a very long time. (sighs) I mean, we kissed each other and that was it. We never even like made out really. And like, we were really, truly, I truly would still say at 40 that I loved her Mm -hmm. and she's a dear friend to me today. But I think about that now about what it meant to me then I couldn't even just acknowledge. I couldn't look at anyone that way. I like shut that part of myself off. And now I think like that's a major contributing factor to the things that I'm unpacking now Mm -hmm. at 40. And so I felt like that might be a lead into where like the conversation is Mm -hmm. headed here.
0: Yeah. I think that one of the things that purity culture kind of robbed people of, I want to say, especially men, is that the only way men look, can look at a woman is through lust. And so therefore I've heard all the things like the eye bounce, the, I mean, you guys probably know more of them Mm -hmm. than I do, but the truth was, is that you're not supposed to look at a woman because if you look at a woman, you're going to fall into lust because there is no other option. And I just don't think that's true. So I think there was I in your story. I love your story there because you are consciously aware you made a decision to turn something off. But I'm wondering what was underneath the decision. And you shared a story in season one. Shame. I mean... Yeah, about your friend who went Mm -hmm. on that trip. And you said it marked me deeply. And I wonder if that was around that same time. It was
2: around the same time that I kissed Dating Goodbye, came out. There was, you know, all of that stuff was sort of happening at once. And the irony of it is what I thought I was doing was protecting Mm -hmm. my love for her Mm -hmm. because it's not like I didn't have sexual thoughts. I just would not allow them to be about her. I would not allow that to be associated with her. It was for me a protecting of her purity or of my idea of her purity. Mm. And it was born of the shame of having not done that in the only other relationship I'd had before her.
3: You know, what's really interesting. I can hear a question come up from a listener right now and and to say like, okay, honestly, tell me what's bad about that. You know, I can hear someone saying, "Boy, really, it sounds like you're saying that was a terrible thing. But what possible bad could come from you not sexually thinking about? And I'm, you know, of course, that's not what I, you know, think. I'm, I'm just posing the question. It's what really do you think? Interesting. Can we go there for a second? You yes. know we, we don't want to get off topic, but I just think that's so important, though, because I think that's a question that's in someone's mind right now, and it's a great question.
1: How would you answer that, Luke? Because you're saying it as an, it makes you sad. Yeah. Can you be specific? Not even that
2: it necessarily makes me sad, but Mm -hmm. that it is connected to a lot of what I'm still unpacking. And I don't know, I don't really know where it fits Mm -hmm. in the like cause and effect chain, what it caused and what caused it. But I do believe that it hurt her and I've never, I'm going to talk to her before this episode, but like, I've never articulated that to her. I never said like, Hey, just so you know, I'm never going to think of you this way. I'm sure that would have ended the relationship much sooner. (laughs) But I do remember times where she would ask me and we were high school kids Yeah, and she would ask me things essentially saying like, are you attracted to me? And I'm, mm-hmm. and it's like yeah. the only language I could give her was like, yes, I think you're beautiful. I think you're wonderful. I think you're, you know, and I meant it, but like I could never give her more than that. And let me clarify too. I'm not just saying I never thought about having sex with her. I'm saying I never thought about anything physical beyond just kissing her. I never allow myself to even entertain the notion. I basically overreacted to what felt like mistakes previously by moving the line so much farther back for myself that I was not allowed to cross. And somehow I stuck to that, which I think in the culture in which we existed made me like the ultimate perfect boyfriend sure. in certain ways. It for was just sure. like, I was the godliest of them all, you know, and people like loved and admired our relationship. Meanwhile, they're all like having sex with each other or doing things, or
1: exploring. Right. Yeah.
2: And I, and I do, I, I mean, I don't know how to say I regret that. I I do and I don't, but like, I'm glad I never contributed to any sort of regret for her around how she used her body in high school. But I do regret the sort of spiritual damage that was done to me. Yeah. That, and that's how I would identify it today is that it, it only ended up spinning out into more shame yep. in relationships that followed relation, you know, whatever.
3: I think that's the answer. You can't speak for her, of course. You sure. No, but you know, so who knows what she experienced in it, but for you, it put into motion more shame around sexuality in your marriage and you know right so that is not a great thing
2: and it also didn't invite her into like it means that my ex-girlfriend had more to do with our physical relationship than my actual girlfriend and like that's not
3: great yeah wow and again you're a high school kid right but this is just your unilateral decision that you're making and of course she Sounds like she tried to have a conversation. Hey, do you, you attracted to me, but in that subculture, she can't say, "Hey, how come you don't ever put your hand up my shirt?" <laughs> you know, right? Or at least give me a chance to swap it away. I mean, like, there, there's just so much there that that could be unpacked. It's, I'm so glad you brought that up. That's so real well, and beautiful.
1: It sounds like you detached yourself from your desire, mm-hmm. and she felt that detachment. Mm-hmm. And we had mentioned when we talked about desire earlier this season that is fun to be desired. It feels good to be desired. And since you had blocked that in yourself, you're unable to offer her that. And she was tuning into that. And like, I think about my own story and I was incredibly pure, quote unquote, until I got married until my wedding night. And I had to go through stages of development post-marriage after my divorce, where I had to learn some things with some experience that Sometimes, I mean, we can't rewind time, but sometimes I, I feel curious about what if I had done some of those things pre-marriage, like would that have affected my story or given me more information to tune into the things that were happening inside my marriage, which I had waited for that were not healthy and were not beneficial.
2: I, I'm it's thinking of, say, so Latifa, you and I did a show before and I've been on many shows together with mm-hmm. Aaron, our friend Aaron Hale, yeah. who is dear. And I know he wouldn't mind this being shared. We've, we've talked about it some, but I interviewed him at one point for another show. And one of the questions I asked him was, you know, if you could say something to your 16-year-old mm-hmm. self today, what would it be? And he answered immediately, have sex. God won't be mad at you.
1: Yeah. I love Aaron. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but I, I mean, maybe that's what I would need to say to myself too. It's like, yeah, yeah. or just say, God's not mad at you. Maybe like, that's just what that yeah. is, is yeah. God's not mad at you. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You
4: don't have to have an action or a lack of action.
1: But yeah. Just God's not
4: mad at you. I just keep thinking about how, as you're talking about that being your high school experience and then going to a Christian college where it was just like it seeped into the culture of that, like people that were elevated in spirituality and this weird wrestling of sexuality. And then, you know, the whole like ring before spring, like all these things about how many people got married so young. And I just think about like the lack of being able to develop your full self. Before you enter into a relationship. And I had a really interesting conversation with my partner, whose name we're all obviously aware of by this point. (laughs) It was just really sweet. We were driving to my parents and we had listened to one of the episodes, and he started sharing a little bit more about his experience in life. And he grew up going to church, but it wasn't purity culture, it was, you know, Mm -hmm. and just a really beautiful, natural progression. And it was like this moment for me of like, for one, this is, oh, this is possible. And how it's not like he was void of pain or different things, but there was just this, I don't know, it just wasn't as deep. And I just keep thinking about there's so many like psychological damaging things about purity culture that I think I'm still trying to put language around for myself about how I see myself and that I'm trying to unravel. And it's like, gosh, like you said, Latifah, like what would it have been like to just be able to have this natural space to explore, you know? And so I'm still sitting with that, but like, it is possible. And there is ways that we can go through that. When
2: I think when I say too, that it only spun out into more shame, it's because, because of the culture I was in that fully affirmed the decision that I had made, even though they weren't aware of it, like it lined up perfectly. I set myself up, to a standard that I could not maintain mm. beyond that point. Do you know what I'm saying? Like yes. who could? No. And so when I didn't, you know, it, it was like, inevitably there's going to be shame. there. There's going to be like, mm-hmm. I'm just not who I used to be. Yeah. And yeah. how do I get back to that? And, yeah. and then today wrestling with like the complete reverse of like, I wish I could undo that. You yeah. know, I wish that I hadn't had that. I would rather have just made the mistake yes. of like violating my own convictions than to have not.
1: And just to, like, I have friends who had a different story, who had a lot more sexual experience pre their committed relationship now that have some regret around some of the way they made their choices or the way their body were in situations. And so I think there are different perspectives here too. Like one of the things I've learned from my own experience post-marriage is that I don't think I would like to be sleeping with somebody that I would be embarrassed to say is like the father of my child. Mm -hmm. That was a big lesson for me. And, you know, I didn't have like a pregnancy scare with anybody or anything like that. But I had just a few interactions that were a mixed bag of really healing in the sense that it gave me information that like I'm able to engage intimately in a way that made me feel alive and unashamed and that my body does work in certain ways that I questioned inside my marriage. And so that was really redeeming for me. But I am also learning that having intimacy attached to emotional intimacy and safety is definitely my preferred way of being with someone. And part of that is as a woman, I'm not trying to get pregnant right now, but it can happen. Like there are percentages of risks you take with whatever birth control you use alongside being safe with, you know, STIs and all that stuff being in the world. And knowing that I have the ability to really give my consent or not give my consent, I still could possibly get pregnant. And I would want to keep the child and I'd want to be able to co parent with someone. And if I'm going to engage with somebody intimately, I just don't want to be embarrassed to introduce them, <laughs> like <laughs> whether we're together or not. You yeah. know what I mean? And so, and because of that barometer, I have now developed, you know, almost four years out of being separated from my ex husband. That does limit the quantity and the depth and breadth and speed at which I could like find people that I'm willing to engage with in that way. But I I think personally, I needed to go through some experiences to even come to that place really peacefully within myself. It's kind of like, if somebody just told me, this is what you have to do, I think that would have been challenging as a woman in her mid thirties who had lived a lot of life and had some harm and had some uh, disappointment around sexual intimacy And like, would I be able to even speak about it this way if I did those things in my teens? Like, I don't know, honestly. But like, I finally feel like I got the stages of development that I was hoping for in my teens or 20s in my mid-30s post my marriage so that I could actually come to a decision about how do I want to be relating to sexual intimacy with myself and with partners or potential partners. And having that space and freedom that my community really gave me really beautifully. Like I remember sitting down with my mom post my divorce. It was actually on Mother's Day, which is classic. (laughs) And I said, it was maybe close to a year after Reed and I had been separated. We'd already been officially divorced. I said, mom, I'm going to be really honest with you. I don't know if I can ever get married again. I'm really traumatized by my divorce and by my marriage, but I absolutely want to have sex again. And so... I don't have anybody I'm doing that with right now, and I don't have like some premeditated plan of making it happen, but I, I will be engaging in sex outside of marriage from here on out most likely. And I just want to let you know that now so that when I come to you and maybe share with you an experience I have, I'm hoping that you can celebrate with me mm-hmm. knowing the pain I've come from mm-hmm. and knowing my story. And I did that with my community too. Mm-hmm. And I felt... Really cared for. And some people were really honest with me like, this is hard for me. This really presses on my context. Mm-hmm. Not that they were judging me, but they were struggling with their own framework mm-hmm. of how sex can be good, mm-hmm. which had been taught to myself and them that it's only good within the context of marriage. And because they had walked through my journey with me and seen the pain and the suffering for years. They actually have celebrated with me for the handful of times that I've been able to have some positive exchanges and in intimacy with people. I think that we just, people's stories and their experience with their bodies and with sexual intimacy are just, it's not a black and white story. Mm-hmm. It's not mm-hmm. something that we can just say, this is exactly how you have to behave because there are so much connected to our sexual engagement that involves our identity, I think, and our our own messages about Mm -hmm. ourselves. And so when we come in with like incredibly broad strokes, people get maimed Mm -hmm. and it causes harm and it requires nuance and I think a companion of like a friendship of walking alongside one another to hold the things that, can feel scary or uncertain. And so it's like I was sitting here listening and I was like thinking about the kids that I love, and some of these girls and boys are getting into their teens. Mm-hmm. And I'm not their parent and I think they have wonderful parents that can talk to them about sex, but I I've thought to myself like what would I say to these kids that I love? Like what would I say to my actual nieces who are these beautiful brilliant girls? Like I don't think I would be like go have sex, you know, <laughs> but I'd want to I'd want to walk with them as they get their first relationship, as they engage with their own bodies. And I wouldn't want to rush them into just casually doing something mm-hmm. because I believe there is sacredness in it. And even though I've had some casual experiences that I still look at as healing and positive, I was also in my late 30s and there was a lot I was processing connected to my story. And so I wouldn't want to impose my story on a 16-year-old or even yes. somebody else who was 50. And it just gets a little complicated. I
2: think this is the part of consent that we don't talk about. And that's yeah. what like consent is not just like, yes, I am willing to have sex with you. Yeah. Like you can apply consent to this conversation as well. Because what I would say about my experience was that I also didn't have consent. The decision was made for me. Mm-hmm. By and your system. By the system. Wow. That's exactly right. And wow. I even think about like. I've got two things. So the first church that I worked at full time, I was doing music full time. I remember I tweeted one time a direct message to our friend Scott Mm -hmm. and I was just getting to know him and he said something about scotch, about drinking scotch. And I tweeted him, I was like, Hey, I love, I love scotch. Like we should get together and have a glass sometime, something like Mm -hmm. that. And I almost lost my job for it because (laughs) one of the people for whom I worked came to me and were like, you've got all these youth kids that follow you and look up to you. And what if they saw that? And I'm like, I was 27 Mm -hmm. when I started drinking, like I'm fine with them looking to me. (laughs) (laughs) I've I've never gotten drunk. Like I will show them an example of how to Mm -hmm. engage in that thing responsibly. Like, I hope they did see it. You know, Mm -hmm. I think of that and I sort of apply it to this conversation. The other thing that I think about when we were getting ready to make this show, I had people that are very dear to me say, well, like, well, I've got nieces and nephews that are in their teens and early twenties, early teens through early twenties. And I remember people saying well, like, well, what if they hear what you're saying? And I'm, I guess what I'm trying to get at is like, while a kid of a particular age may not be of age or of stage to give consent, the answer is not to simply say like, you can't go there what if they go have sex because of something you say? And it's like, no, well, but what if they are educated enough? What if they Mm -hmm. feel like they have a resource in their life where they can figure out consent? Does that make any sense? Like where they can get to a place where they can offer consent? Because I, at 16, 17, 18, didn't have that. And that's no one's fault specifically. I'm not, I want to be really clear that none of what I say on the show is like a shot at my parents. My parents aren't the reason for my repression. I grew up in a system and in a culture and in a time Mm -hmm. where repression was
0: rewarded. Yes. Yes. Yes.
2: And so what I would want is not to, same as what you're just saying, like I would love to talk to my nieces and nephews and and not say like, yes, you should, or no, you shouldn't, but here's how to listen to your body. And here's the information that you need in order to make that decision that only you can make Mm -hmm. to resource them and prepare them to make that decision Mm -hmm. rightly.
4: Yes, I remember having a moment when I was first in the relationship that turned into a much more committed relationship. But I remember having a moment one morning in meditation where I was sitting and I was seeing like all of these people in my life that I had like outsourced this decision to. Mm. Mm. And I think about like it's a youth group, it's family, like extended family and stuff. And just like realizing that I had given away my own choice, my own consent because I was so concerned about upholding this construct that I had been taught Mm -hmm. you know and it was like I feel like I had a chastity belt on Mm -hmm. like for so many years (laughs) it was just Mm -hmm. like this conscious decision of being like this is a choice I am making for myself and this is at my mid-30s I think there's something really interesting and slightly bizarre (laughs) about how purity culture and the church system has really like people have permission to speak into the most intimate experience of your life. Mm -hmm. That don't know you. That don't know you. Like this is like, how is that okay? And like really big moral, like you're going to go to hell. Like Mm -hmm. these very big statements about eternal consequences. Yes. You know, and you start to like step back and like really think about that. And it's like, whoa, 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 let's slow down here. And it's taken me a long time to realize like I myself and whoever I'm engaging with are the only two in this room. Along with, if you believe, like, the divine in that whole experience. But, like, there isn't anybody else here that gets to, like, choose or say or name what this is. Mm-hmm. And I just think, like, I just so agree with what you said about, like, it's part of the system that took away choice.
2: Well, and it's because we tie consent to an age. We say, like, you, oh, you yeah. are granted yeah. consent at 18 or in some states 17. And that has nothing to do with development, has nothing. And so what we do is we say, instead of giving you the tools that you need to be prepared to help you develop and know how to offer consent, we'll give you a rule to follow. And that's such a default for so many of us. I mean, it was the same with drinking. Like I have friends that were drinking in high school with their parents and they were fine. Like Mm -hmm. they were fine. Whereas I, like I said, I had my first drink at 24 years old because I was so afraid of the thing. Because I was so guarded and I was so, not only that, not it wasn't just fear. It was also that elevated spirituality of like, oh, 21? No, I'm going to wait. Even, mm-hmm. I'm never going to do it. And then at 24, mm-hmm. I finally did.
4: And now I love drinking. Y'all have seen it. <laughs> <laughs> but elevated spirituality yep. is a good, yeah. Just, but I want to say elevated yeah.
0: spirituality gives us a reward of some sort. Yes. Or we wouldn't keep
4: chasing
1: it. Chasing and for it.
2: me as a three, it was other people's oh, perception okay. of me. Mm-hmm. It was yeah. that like. I promise you people around me knew that I didn't drink and knew that I didn't have sex. And they, you know,
3: you know, it's really interesting to me that in the purity culture movement, the people that might even defend it would say, wait a minute, like people chose rings and they wrote down, like they were making their own decision. I mean, that's the whole thing. We made everybody write their name on a card and no, that's their own decision. What I hear you saying, Luke, which I agree with hundred percent is, no, actually, that was an, an elaborate system of pressure and rules and rewards and punishments. And of course, you're going to write down your name on that card. Of well, course, you're going to get that ring. It was also what Ashley just said.
2: It was a construct. It's not not just that it was a construct. It was the only one that I saw. Right. I didn't know right. there was an alternative. Yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. <laughs> And so I, there was no example no of consent. like yes. healthy sexuality. Yes. It was just like, here's the rule. Follow it. Or burn in hell for eternity.
0: Because sex is the unforgivable. Kind of. You've crossed over.
2: And even if it wasn't unforgivable, it's like to do anything requiring the grace of God was to be avoided. I mean, it was, you know, even though that grace will be there, don't don't hurt God's feelings. Yeah. You know?
3: For me, the nuance, and granted, I rejected youth group. And so I wasn't really, I, I was part of that, but not. But it wasn't so much. God's never going to forgive you. I think I had a theology that said God forgives and God's gracious. It was so much more, your marriage will be horrible forever. You're going to be ruined. Like you will never have a positive sexual experience with your wife if you have sex before you're married. And, you know, you just won't. And that's worse. (laughs) Not worse than burning hell forever probably. But you know what I mean? Like I could probably have lived with, well. You're looking at a
0: lifetime of horrible sex. I mean that does sound pretty hellish. (laughs) Hellish.
3: I also had the theology that said, oh, God, Jesus, please don't return before I'm able to have sex. (laughs) I actually prayed that.
0: Yes. (laughs) That is. I know people who actually had sex because of that reason. Oh, yeah. Because it was like, I'm not going to miss out on this because, you know, what was that series? The The, the Rapture. Something about Left Behind or something. You Mm -hmm. know, all those things. I mean, I don't want to, anyway. Yeah. But I think. That's pretty messed up. It is pretty messed up, but I want to say there's a theology underneath all of this that is trying to control something. Yeah. yeah. Part of what it's trying to control is something it doesn't understand. Mm. And therefore, it doesn't understand the beauty, The as you were saying. It's not about how I have... It's more when am I going to start entering into this? And I think that's the conversation. I can't tell you how many times... I've invited in in February, the love month, Mm -hmm. to talk about sex and put these kids on the straight and narrow. And I can't (laughs) tell you how many times I've had parents come up and say, you're not saying it clear enough. Mm -hmm. It needs to just be no sex before marriage. And I'm said, I'm not going to say that. And that makes them very, very nervous. Mm -hmm. And kids always want to know, how far, where's the line? And I was like, you know, I could draw the line right here in the sand and you'd put your toes right over the edge of it. I'm not a line drawer. I'm not going to draw a line in the sand. I'm going to actually say that I believe you have the capability of making a responsible decision if you know some
1: of the facts. Well, so can you tell me some of these facts? Pretend like I'm that kid in that room.
0: Oh, okay. Well, I yeah. could do
1: that. Yeah. Okay. So some of the facts are right now when you're
0: developing as a teenager, if you're a boy, before you went into puberty, and if testosterone were beer, you would have the equivalent of about eight ounces coursing through your body every single day. Think that eight ounces might do to you? Okay. So when you go into puberty, if testosterone were beer, you have the equivalent between one and two gallons of testosterone coursing through your body every day. How do you think you might respond for decision making? Who do you need to be listening to? Who's going to be your best sex coach? Your buddy who's going through with a gallon full of testosterone in his body? (laughs) Or do you think maybe somebody who might have been having sex for a while in some form of relationship where they have some history to share with you? And so part of that is helping kids understand, where are you going for your knowledge? Mm. And nowadays, so often kids have the internet, Mm. so they don't have to be ashamed of asking questions. They can just type that into Google or they can do Siri or whatever, and they can get information that is without
1: relationship. And some of the information might be good, but some might be bad. Some
0: of it might be. I mean, I, yeah, who knows? knows? I don't know. I mean, the reality is they're in a state of development. So part of one of the things I emphasize when I talk to kids is like, what do you think that testosterone is really for? Oh, that's helping that Adam's apple come in. It's helping the pubic hair come out. Oh, it's helping you have hair on your legs to have hair on your, and so naming that it has a purpose more than just sex. But it is about sex because their body is awakening to something. And that's where you made a statement early on, Luke, where you said something about, and I didn't quite get it quoted, but I wasn't didn't allow myself to think sexually about her. But I did think sexually.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I protected her from what felt like a part of my mind or soul or spirit that was wrong. I protected her from that part of me. Which is... I identified as dark or evil, or something was broken in me.
0: Because you were having sexual thoughts.
2: Because I was a human teenage okay. boy. Yes, because yes. you
0: were a human teenage boy who yes. was awakening. But
2: I didn't have that knowledge then. Right. Well, I know then you didn't there have was that something knowledge. Wrong but what I'm me. saying yeah.
0: is whose responsibility is to give you that knowledge? That's adults. That's people who you are looking for in leadership. For people that are growing up in the church, it is the church's responsibility to have some accuracy, not just <laughs> fear. And education system. And and education system. I think there's a lot of things here. So it's there's this element of, yes, it was a construct that was happening for you. But I also think there was something that when we start awakening to this, what I hear so often is people going, well, when I start awakening sexually, it's all about lust. I'm like, I don't think that's exactly where it goes right away what if it's actually rooted in love? I mean, can you imagine a creator giving, I mean, somewhere along the line, our bodies start kicking in this way. And what if that's actually a loving way to help us grow into something versus it being a curse? Wow.
1: That's good. Mm
0: -hmm. I mean, I can't tell you how many women name their menstrual cycle as a curse. And I'm like, it's not a curse. It's one of the things that makes me so mad because the menstrual cycle is this beautiful process of the body that literally goes from. In fact, in my office, I have a woman's womb, and it's the perfect size. It's actually, a model. Yes, a model.
2: <laughs> yes,
0: I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I have yes. Thank you very this much. This was for very that. confusing yeah. for me
2: yesterday <laughs> when you were like, I have a woman's pelvic floor and a man's penis, and I was just like. <laughs>
0: A model of it. A model, a medical model of it. They're not buried in your backyard. No, they're not. (laughs) I have an actual crafted, modeled uterus, a woman's uterus. It's the exact shape. It's the average size. It's the weight of it. And it's actually the color of it Hmm. for three weeks of the month. And then I have another one that is when it is fully engorged with the blood of right before menstrual cycle. And a lot of times I have men hold that. And I have them actually go, okay, this is what is going on in your partner for most of the month. And then this starts to happen. And I said, this is a time when it literally almost doubles in size, mm. changes color. Mm. That's going on inside a woman's body in order to cleanse her body of something. This is miraculous that's going on. This it, what. I get why we call it the curse. I get all the discomfort of it. But I think part of the discomfort is because we push it over here. It can't be a part of the process of being human. Mm -hmm. And so that's part of what I'm saying. It just makes me kind of mad on your behalf. And I'm not mad at your parents. I'm not mad at the church. I'm just kind of mad that, like, why can't we have more open conversations, which is thus why we're doing this, about. What actually happens when a boy starts to awaken or a woman starts to awaken and they start to see someone and they, wow, I feel all tingly and have permission to feel the tingles, to feel the draw towards? And why does it always have to be named as lust?
2: Yeah. Attraction is tied entirely to something that is wrong rather than like attraction is entirely entirely to lust rather than to love. Like for me, that was the experience. Right. And what's funny about that is the narrative was supported by, you mentioned the story of my friend who, you know, had sex on a dare in high school for the first time, lost his virginity. And Mm -hmm. we, we mentioned how at that point, like all bets were off. He was going to hump everything that he could find, you know, like he had all the sex and it's because he was already going to endure whatever punishment came with having ruined himself. And so why wouldn't you? And
1: that's not consent either. I agree. No,
2: I know. I totally agree. He still was not resourced to Mm. make that decision or to recognize if someone else is making that decision with him.
0: Well, and I'm mindful of somebody contacted me from the first season and they had an instance where they wanted to talk to their child about sex. And they were like, I really want this. I want to do this in a way that isn't damaging. And how can I actually do that? And part of it is the first thing we as, I think, as adults need to get educated enough to first notice and name that, oh, I might have had a few gaps in my Mm -hmm. own sex education. (laughs) (laughs) And can (laughs) we be learning with our kids in a language that is appropriate. And that's where I think that there are so many wonderful, great books out there that are written about how to recover from things. But where are the books that are actually writing about the actual beauty of the body? And I mean, I think that there's an opportunity out here that's unbelievable about writing about the beauty of the menstrual cycle for a little girl to give her that as this beautiful thing to anticipate. And
3: I, there, there is a book. Christine Bauman, yeah, it's called the Theology of the Womb.
0: Oh, that I've got. That's in my book list. Yes,
3: it's incredible. Mm.
0: Yeah, Yeah, because I think blood is a sacred thing. My acupuncturist had a red party for her daughter when she had her first period, and it was during COVID. And so she went to a park and invited people that were important to her, and she really made it really special for her daughter. The thing is, she didn't tell her daughter she her daughter thought she was gonna get that every month.
3: <laughs> oh, that's
1: awesome. Party.
3: <laughs>
0: the
1: party. I want a party every
0: yeah. month. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. But it was but it was like that moment where no, we're gonna celebrate this. And
3: that's really cool.
0: I just think there's an opportunity here. And I think the thing for boys is one of the things typically is because of the testosterone, it starts to shut down some of the there's so much going on and there's so much self-consciousness about the vocal chords and the change that's going on. And a lot of times people notice that boys quit talking sometimes during, during that, during uh, that they, or they talk less. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that that has to be the norm. I just think it's something to be noticed and engaging in the moments. And that's where I think that we've got to get away from having one sex talk with kids. It's got to be a, dialogue a conversation a returning to a noticing the moments where our kids and that's about being attuned to our kids of where they feel uncomfortable like you were sharing a story about one of your kids walking in on you and it's like that's created now you have conversation you can have now you can actually go oh you know there's an ongoing conversation
3: Mm -hmm. or i can invite them into that hey would you like to talk more about that and no (laughs) you know that's the current and that's okay But I want to keep that conversation open.
0: Yeah. And there are ways in which you can actually keep that conversation open. And I think there's something so beautiful about giving kids a healthy picture that gives them something to aspire to versus just I have to cut something off. And I absolutely 100% think that your vulnerability here, Luke, is starting to cut something off for you. Or maybe it's continuing the process for you. I don't know.
2: I don't know what you mean by that.
0: What I mean by that is the fact that you're willing to risk being in this very uncomfortable situation, which you repeatedly say this conversation is not comfortable for me. I've mentioned that. I don't. (laughs) That's weird. Oh, maybe that's your alter view. Okay. Well. But I mean, I think that there's something about that that is so profoundly courageous. Yes. Yeah. And I think it's also something that listeners, there are many listeners I know, I've had people contact me and say, oh, I'm Luke, I'm Luke. Mm -hmm. And they have such respect for you. And I just think, can we have respect for people in the process of their journey? Mm -hmm. And I want to say, can we have respect for teenagers? Yeah. Yeah in the process of their journey, and not treat them like they're idiots. Mm -hmm. They're not. I had amazing conversation this week with a teenage boy, met with him, an intelligent conversation. We talked about real things. We talked about the depth of understanding he had of life and death. And it was like, I walked away from that conversation going, I just want to be his friend. And it was so cool. And I think we can give kids more responsibility for the consent when we give them proper information that is rooted and grounded in something that is more about the possibility of what we can create than what we're going to screw up.
2: This episode of Fun Parts was produced, edited, and mixed by me. Luke Braun. Our artwork was designed by the very talented Alan Lusink. All the music you heard in this episode was composed, produced, and licensed by the fine folks at blue.sessions.com. Check out our website at funpartspodcast.com and be sure to follow us on social media at Podcast. Lastly, if you want access to bonus and behind-the-scenes content from this and other milieu Media Group shows, join our neighborhood at the Patreon link in the show notes. And now, here's a scene from the next episode of Fun Parts.
0: I think there's this element when porn becomes something that is a numbing agent or an escape to... Or this is the other language I hear a lot is my right. What my concern is is we've lost the curiosity of why we first went there. And people say, "Well, I don't even have a choice. There's just that's the only thing option to me because I'm a single and that's all I have." And, And I'm like, "Well, is that the only choice you have?"